I would say to be a smarter football fan, someone that can enjoy the game on a, a maybe a little deeper level, don't watch the ball. If you're watching the football, you are a passive participant in what's happening because it's already happened by the time you get there. You are listening to episode 139 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. This is Tony Waller, and today I am joined by Michael Felder. Michael Felder is a national football writer and video artist extraordinaire. He is a former University of North Carolina football player and also a pretty good chef. We talk a little bit about his approach to Twitter, his approach to college football, and his uniquely defensive perspective on college football. You can follow Michael at In the Bleachers on Twitter. He has a pretty good Instagram that's public where he posts a lot of his food pictures. He's an all-around smart guy who I love his approach to how he describes football, particularly his view on football from a defensive back's perspective. Thank you for taking a listen. When you get done, read, rate, and review. Uh, hopefully later in the week I'll be on with Barrett Sally, and we are back next week with, or yeah, I guess next week with a uh, the Georgia preview. Uh, and guys, we'll also be in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. All right, this is uh, Tony waiting since last Saturday podcast. I want to welcome to the podcast Michael Felder. Mike, man, thanks for joining me. Man, it is good to hop on with you. Uh, Goodness, all the way back to what? Back in Athens in like 2013? Whenever that was, I remember y'all came and uh, I was so jazzed because it was you and uh, Sally and Elika, right? And then the whole crew. Yeah, y'all Elika did, was there. Y'all did the whole uh, the whole Bleacher Report season preview. The folks at, uh, at Athletics hooked y'all up to get y'all in the stadium. And I remember y'all, y'all finished up by trying to do, you're throwing a football and you're trying to hit a receiver. Yeah. What were y'all doing? They no, not y'all. They they yeah. were throwing the football, trying to get get to someone on this the upper deck, oh, okay. trying to throw like a little vortex nerf ball up to the upper deck. And um, your boy Mike Felder does not. I don't play football anymore, so <laughs> I'm not I'm not one for the sun. And so I was resting in the concourse. Uh, that's probably the right call, anyway, man. So yeah, uh, you say you don't play football anymore. You play ball at uh, North Carolina back in the day, right? Yeah, 03 to 06, and I was a backup's backup. A nice way to put that is a reserve. A a more accurate way to put it is a guy who uh, practiced a lot of football. Uh, But through that, I got to learn a lot. Um, That's one thing that I don't think people understand is when you play scout team, you learn everybody else's stuff in addition to your own stuff. So it ultimately ended up being pretty invaluable for me to be able to do the job I do. You know, it's funny. I, I find that to be really interesting just because you always have an interesting take on like everything that's going down in football games. And as a former, I mean, look, man, I played, I played, I barely played high school, but as a guy that played uh, love defense, it's always fun to see you jump in immediately. It's like, oh, that's clearly offensive pass interference, which almost never gets called, right? Yeah the most undercalled penalty in all of football. And I get it. People love offense. So just let those things slide, but criminally undercalled. And it's just seeing guys get pushed in the back and seeing guys get held off with one hand and everyone's like, Oh, what a great catch. And I'm just like, that's not allowed. He should be getting a penalty. Well, and yeah, the thing about it is that there's so, so much of that that happens because you're right. It is the offense that drives kind of, 
everything in football, which is fine. But, you know, there are tons of dudes just getting mugged out there. And it's, yep. uh, you know, it's like, come on, man. Sometimes sometimes it is off, offensive pass interference. Um, but, you yep. know, that, that's the that's cool thing about it. It's one of the things I think you're really good at. Um, which, frankly, why I think you're so good on video is that you're great at breaking down plays. And it's amazing to me you do that so well on Twitter. That's a skill I didn't know that I had and didn't know there was value in. But I, it actually comes, and, and this is the thing going back to playing, it actually comes from getting drilled and having the coach drill us where you don't have, he doesn't have all day for you to explain stuff. So you better be brief and you better be right. When you go up to that chalkboard, we used to have, it's especially in spring ball. We used to have chalkboard battles where two guys on the board, draw this, draw that, show me where this blitz comes from. Okay. Put it in a different formation. Where does this blitz come from? Where does this, uh, what's your responsibility in this coverage? And you would be up there against another guy and, Listen, I couldn't run. I was slow as sin, but I could beat people at that. I could beat starters at the chalkboard because this was the one time where being quick would be, I was quick enough mentally to get things out and draw things out. So absolutely that kind of transferred over that, that use of quickness with being quick in diagnosing what happens, but also the brevity to make sure that you're not taking all day to say it translates to doing shorter online videos but also to twitter where you can say something you don't have to talk all day to get to the point and i think that's something that i really enjoy about twitter because i don't need all the preamble just give me the give me the the nuts and bolts yeah and i think it's interesting that your um your approach i remember you you tweeted this um it was a thread but you were just talking about your role when you played uh deep back at north carolina and the whole concept of it was that Look, I was rarely going to get on the field in a game situation, but my job was to be as prepared as possible because if I pushed the guy in front of me, he was going to push the guy in front of him, and that guy was pushing the starter. And if if I made the starters better, I'd done my job. Yeah, I, and I, I think for me, yeah, absolutely. And good. I just was going to say, yeah, that was – it took a while. I had to go to sports psych because just like everybody else that plays college football – I was a, I felt like I was a star coming out of high school. Yeah, you're, and all, you're all state at East Mac, right? Do I remember that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was good. I yeah. was good. I was an alternate for the Shrine Bowl. Like, I was good. And then I get there, and I'm not getting in the game. And I was like, well, this sucks. I hate this. And luckily, Corey Holiday and uh, Coach Tate at Carolina got me in to see a sports psychologist. And I'll never forget Michelle Johnson. She said one of the most powerful things to me. She said, You've got to adjust what happiness looks like for yourself because otherwise you'll never be happy here. And adjusting that meant finding a new way to find success. Success became a different, had a different definition. It wasn't being a starter in all ACC or any of that. Success became, did I have a good day at practice? Are my lift numbers going up? And that adjustment allowed me to kind of go out there and do uh, what I did. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because – you are probably one of the most happy-go-lucky people I follow on Twitter. And maybe not happy-go-lucky is not the right way to put it. Maybe joyful, right? Because you're always like, man, you, you, you taught me the joy of shower beer. And I'm not a beer guy. But uh, <laughs> I remember y'all talking about shower beers. I'm like, come on, man. Seriously? And I yeah. did not realize there was a whole world of shower beer out there. <laughs> um, this is kind of weird. And then, of course, I follow you on Instagram because I'm always interested in what you're cooking. How did you get into cooking like that? 
man, I was, I'm a mama's boy. Okay. Always have been, always will be. And part of being a mama's boy is wanting to be around your mother and wanting to be around my grandmothers and my great grandmother. And the best way to be around them when you get together for family stuff, the best way to be around them and not have to share them with my cousins was to be, was to be in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, there's no other kids in the kitchen. And part of your job, if you're going to be in this kitchen, you better be doing something. If my mom, if I'm in Delaware with my mom's family and uh, my great, my grandma was cooking and then my mom's doing this and my, my, her sisters are doing something and you can't just be in here sitting down and be in the way you've got to do a job. And started out small with my job would be, you know, like washing collard greens or peeling potatoes and stuff like that. And then you get to the point where you get more responsibility and more responsibility and more responsibility. And then you wake, you look up one day and, you know, I was, I cooked my, I fried my first Turkey when I was 15, probably. Yeah, man. And that became a thing that I took over for my family and I fried birds for them ever since. And then I made my first, you know, then I start making the macaroni and cheese and now you're making the greens and you look up one day and you know, you're 27 and your mom doesn't have to do anything for Thanksgiving because she's watching you do it. And it just, that's what got me into cooking. And then I got into a rut in 2013, 2014, working with Bleacher Report. I had a big, big job. I had to do this college football 250, uh, the top 250 players. And there was no, um, template for it. So I had to create a template from I had to create a template from scratch and come up with a ranking system and basically all like the Madden scoring and all of that, like height, like not height, but like accuracy, speed, quickness, agility, blah, blah, blah. I had to come up with all of that by myself and like go through and watch players and watch four or five games of players and then rank them based on things. And on top of doing my everyday day to day job and I just I gained a bunch of weight and I just felt horrible, like from a just mental standpoint. I mean, I was up staying up until, you know, two in the morning trying to figure out this because I was also doing my regular job. And I just really was in a bad spot, hated the, hated the job, hated what I was doing. And then list comes out and like every other list, it, it's not what people want. It's not, you know, this, you rank this guy too low and you should have been thinking about this. I'm like, guy, I don't know if you understand this, but I spent a lot of man hours doing this. And people were like, you have Johnny Manziel ranked as the number 20, whatever, or 30, whatever player in, in the entire country. And I was like, yeah, but I, I have him ranked as like the number one dual threat quarterback, but newsflash folks, he's not the best football player in the country. There's offensive linemen and defensive linemen that are better at what they do than he is at playing quarterback. And I think a lot of people couldn't understand that. And it was very frustrating. And so one of the things that I found a release in was cooking and right. I found like real joy in cooking and then being in the kitchen. And like, it was a way for me to shut down the day. Cause like I said, I was working late, like work, I would work through dinner, work into night. And I wasn't spending time with uh, my girlfriend. Who's now my wife. I wasn't spending time like really with her cooking had like three or four different things that it did. One, it stopped my work day. It, it wasn't a thing that I did while I also worked. It stopped my work day. So at four 30, when my wife got home, I'm done I don't want to do radio after this. I don't want to take phone calls after this. I'm done. I'm making dinner. So it stopped my work day, which took a lot of stress off of me going into the nighttime, made me, made me be able to sleep. It took my mind out of the workspace and gave me a task to focus on. And you know how it is like in like modern society between social media and, and work emails and work phone calls and all this and like TV and everything. You got a million things going at one time. Cooking gave me a singular thing to focus on. 
and really helped me get out of my own head. And the other thing it did was just give me to spend some time, you know, with, with the, with people that I care about. And what started out as just my wife on weekdays, but we started having dinner parties and people coming over. And then we started having, you know, family and everything and like the whole deal and really got me to enjoy spending time with people a little bit better and be better about spending time with the people that I care about. So did all those things for me. And then it also, (laughs) it's really fun. Like, it's just so fun to see something that's like nothing like raw ingredients and then turn them into a beautiful dish. Oh man, I'm with you. I know, you know, you know, I'm a big dude. I like to cook and I love, I love entertaining. Um, it's just some of the stuff you come up with. It's just amazing. It's just like, you're always doing this. Like, I mean, I have, I have go-tos and I, I try to get my side of my comfort zone some, um, I mean, just last weekend we had a, a local chef, Tim Dondero, came by the house. Mm-hmm. A little thing we wanted to auction, and and we did Thai. I never, I never cooked Thai before, which was a lot of nice. fun, right? Um, but you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm starting to incorporate my kids because I do a lot of the cooking around the house. My wife, um, mm-hmm. she practices law. She's pretty busy. Um, plus, she, I mean, she loves to cook, but it's she's she's just as happy throwing together some you know pasta and sauce as it's just to, to cook right. um so it's cool that you get to do you you kind of bring forward that whole thing from your your childhood and growing up because that's that's kind of the way i am i'm just like man i, I, I like being in the kitchen i like putting on oh, yeah. a feet for people um so what's your go-to i think if, I, if when it comes to go-to i, I love steak so steak apois is like my all-time favorite oh, yeah that's my with a little with with palm frites like I love that to the I love that to the max could eat it every day it's so good um, I'm a burger guy we um, there's like we've got like food absolutes in our house these days like one of them is we don't buy ground meat we grind our own meat and so that elevates every burger whether it's a beef burger a pork burger a, a turkey burger even like shrimp or or like a seafood style burger it elevates it so much. Because you can taste that freshness. There's more juice in there, and you know what cuts you're using. So burgers are another one that I absolutely love. But, man, I've really been enjoying, and this is kind of – it's something that I stayed away from for so long because it felt like it was so cliche. Southern guy makes this. Like I stayed away from frying chicken for a long time. Like I, We right. had it at times, but I stayed away from it for a while, and I've kind of circled back to it in the last couple months and – I mean, there nothing beats a, a, a fried chicken thigh like that is. Oh, man. That's a little taste of heaven. And one thing that I've one thing I've started doing is going and buying the packs of chicken thighs, which are for some insane reason. Well, I know it's I know why it is because America has been completely brainwashed into thinking that the only healthy thing you can eat is boneless, skinless chicken breast. Right. But I go literally on Sundays. I'll go to the Harris Teeter and the 12 pack of thighs will be cheaper than the four pack of thighs. I'll get that. And then I'll, you know, take out four that we need for dinner that night. I'll freeze the rest into individual four to four packs so that we can have, we have those whenever we need them. And then I take, all it takes is a little whip of the knife. You can take the bone out of that thing. Soak it, soak it in buttermilk, coat, drop it in the little seasoning, fry that thing up, put it on a sandwich. It is undefeated. Yeah, man, I'm with you on that. I, that's one thing I don't do. I don't fry a lot of stuff, which is crazy considering. Uh, which crazy considering, um, but I, dude, I love grabbing a, a a thigh, and I'll do the same thing, yeah. but I'll soak it in buttermilk, and um, 
it's hit or miss sometimes. So I got to perfect what I do with it, but I'll roll it in some, you know, seasoned breadcrumbs or whatever mm-hmm. and, and throw it on the grill uh, and just slow cook. Nice. It. It's just real slow, as slow as I can get it. Uh, and it, it has almost that fried, it's not fried, but it has almost that cause you get some, the skin gets sure. crispy. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So, you know, one of the things also, cause you and I share this too. We both like pedicures. When did you become such oh, yeah. a Renaissance man? Uh, in college, oh, yeah. I actually, I think it was during the Steelers Super Bowl run and I want to say it was that 05 to that for the 06 Super Bowl, maybe the Steelers, but Heinz Ward was on and he was talking about pedicures and he said, take care of your feet and they'll take care of you. And that was like one of those things where I was like, yeah, he's right, man. I, I wear cleats all day. Like I hate this. Like I wear, like if I'm not wearing cleats, I'm wearing sneakers and I'm just lifting weights. Like I'm punishing my feet. Everything, every time you do a squat or a power clean, or you're doing the stairmaster, or you're out there running sprints with cleats on, and like you're stopping and going and cutting and doing agility drills, and you're jumping rope and ju- doing dot drills and stuff, like you're just slamming your feet up against the top of the shoe, and you're just it's it's bad. It's bad for your feet. And so I started going when I could afford it in college, and then just have been going ever since. It's a thing that, again, one of those things that I really love doing with my wife, where we get an opportunity to kind of relax, sit together, have a glass of wine and just get our toes done. And it's, it's just, I'm super enthusiastic about it and never, not one time everyone. Cause you know how it is this whole, the dumb man card thing, which is just, it's a joke and a half. It, it, never, not once has someone that's gone with me, like a guy that's gone with me to get a pedicure they always are like, oh, I do like this. I've been depriving myself of something that could be amazing. I will come back. So putting a couple of my friends on the manicures is, or on the pedicures is super great. And just every time someone tries it, they're like, oh, this is fantastic. I will be back. Oh, man, I'm with you. I went the first time I went with my daughter is the last day of school. So I'll mm-hmm. take the girls and go somewhere. My daughter, my wife will take the, my son and go somewhere. And then when to get pedicures, I'm like, all right, let's go. Uh, we do not have the baller uh, wine pedicure place like y'all do in Charlotte. But um, <laughs> I have a good, I have a friend from high school that lives in Charlotte, and that's where he goes because I'm always seeing his Facebook posts. Nice. You know, get wine and a pedicure. I'm like, man, I need to, I need to visit Charlotte. Um, <laughs> but uh, they were like, get a pedicure. I'm like, all right, I'll get a pedicure. And it's like I go more than they go. So my wife's like, it's a life changer, dude. It is amazing. And I remember the first time that the lady got down there with the, uh, you know, with the salt of the, I don't know. I call it a cheese grater, but it's just the, like the little, yeah, yeah. little thing. She's the like, little microplane. There you it's go. So good. God, she, she just liked him. I looked at my feet and she went, Oh, and went to town, man. And it was just like, it is a life changer. It really is. Just feel, you feel so much better. Um, so just quickly, let's go back to football. You know, one of the things I like to try to do, and I think the four people that listen to us, I hope they're this way, is just want to be smarter football fans. So as an average fan, what are a couple of things we can do to be smarter about how we consume football? I think there's kind of levels to it. I think on the the biggest, the most macro of all levels, I think it's remember that these are people. Uh, And in the case of college football, remember that they are kids, like they're kids. And (laughs) It's one of those things where people are going to kids make mistakes all the time. Like that's part of being a kid and they make mistakes on the football field. So um, I think that's that I think that's to me is job one is recognize that they're people and you as as bad as fans think they want it. The players are out there to do the job. They want it way more like they've 
you know, put in all the time and devoted their lives to achieving a singular goal. And the, the idea that they don't want it that bad is absolutely a fallacy uh, across the board. So I think that's one on a big macro level. I think when we go micro, we go offense and we go defense. I think defensively, people have to understand that defense is a puzzle piece. And like what I usually do when I'm explaining it to it, because my wife, she, my wife likes football, but she didn't realize how much she didn't know about football until she started spending Saturdays with me. And she's like, how do you know that? How can you see this? Why did you know what was happening? And then I'd run it back and show her the little things that were happening. So the best way that I found to explain this to people is defense is you take your two hands and put them out in front of you. And then you put one hand over the other where your hands are in between each other. And now you, it's like a glove. Like it's, it's not like, excuse me, not like a glove. It's like a picket fence where all the holes are filled. So if you have your four fingers out in front, those next fingers come from behind and those four fingers fit in between there. That's the way defense is supposed to work. You're never supposed to have two guys in the same space between two offensive players. Somebody made a mistake. So all the time. And a lot of times when I read some of the stuff that other people in terms of that, that other people do in terms of analysis, all they see are, you know, a missed tackle or all they see is a, a sort of like a, a, a wide open wide receiver. And then what you have to do is go, you have to work backwards you have to work backwards and understand that, okay, this is a fit. This is a fit. This is a fit. Somebody, there's two people in this gap. Why is this wrong? Okay. Everyone else is doing this. This is the one guy that's wrong. So it's not always what it looks like. It's not always that linebacker missed the tackle. It might be that the defensive end got pinned inside and the linebacker was doing the right thing. And he didn't have the ability to, to bounce over the top, to get there, to make the tackle because the defensive end is the guy who's supposed to be there making the tackle or, it's not that the safety dove at legs or made a big, made a massive mistake. It's that the linebacker didn't hammer the play back to the inside where the safety was supposed to alley fill. And now you have a real big hole that the safety can't cover all by himself. So there's a lot there. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I think the key, and maybe this is just football in general. I think one of the things is I would say to be a smarter football fan, someone that can enjoy the game on a, a maybe a little deeper level. Don't watch the ball. If you're watching the football, you are a passive participant in what's happening because it's already happened by the time you get there. And this is a thing I think you learn when, because you play. Like you can't watch the football all the time. You're going to get fooled. I think you've got to pick, and it's, it's okay to take a series and decide to watch the offensive line. They'll tell you where the play's going. It's okay to take a series and watch the quarterback, but not watch the ball. Watch the quarterback. Watch his shoulders. Watch the way he turns his head because he's going to tell you where he's throwing the football or where he wanted to throw with it. And then somebody made him make a different decision. So I think that's cool. And then you can do the same thing defensively, watch the linebacker, watch the way he steps. And then does he step down into the hole or he's, is he someone that's, that's waiting, waiting, waiting on a flat foot read and then going to make a play. So I think that's a huge one though. Watching the ball is such a, it's, it feels it's a, it's a passive way to view the game because you're, and I, I think maybe it works if you're not, in the business of anticipating what's going to happen. But I think certainly if you start to watch outside of just the football, you get a, a deeper understanding for how all the pieces work together. Yeah. I think that's, I love, I love that advice. Cause I'm, I'm the same way. I'm almost like, Hey, take a look here at the quarterback and see him what, see what the quarterback's doing. And then you'll get a sense on the first, almost on the first drive, what the philosophy is going to be the whole game. Yep. Um, so, yep. So one last thing, you're huge. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just important. I was going to say, this is one of those things I I learned this from playing safety. 
if you're if you're if if not watching the ball, watching the offensive line feels boring, or watching just the fullback feels boring. If you just watch the quarterback, you can learn a lot. And this is the thing I learned from playing safety: quarterbacks can't make throws without their shoulders. So they might move their head somewhere, but they always will move their shoulders to where they're throwing the football. And that's how you know, like obviously the greats like Ed Reed. That's how those guys get interceptions because the shoulders tell you the entire story of a play. You don't even have to watch any of the any of the wide receivers do anything. Yeah. The quarterback, he'll go if his if his if his front shoulders face down, he's throwing that ball short. If his front shoulder shoulders at a level angle, he's throwing that ball in the intermediate. And if he's got that front shoulder cranked up high, that's a deep ball. Go ahead and get some depth because he's throwing that ball over the top. And those little things, those little wrinkles let you know exactly what's gonna happen and how you have to respond to it. Yeah, I think it's great advice. Um you know, one last thing. You're uh, your defensive guy. Who's your favorite defender for 2019? Looking forward. Uh, for, tw- for 2019 or 2018? I'm sorry, 2018. I keep trying I was to like, wait. I've, dude, done I that, a year? I've, I've done that a half a dozen times with people. I'm like, hey, 2019 is going to be a great season. And I'm like, I, I, I think you've skipped a year somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so for 2018, I'm going to go with the same defender that I've actually gone with for two years prior. I'm going to go with Ed Oliver, uh, yeah. Houston defensive tackle. I think that he's the best player in all of college football. I think he was the best player a season ago in all of college football. He is remarkably dynamic. Um, coming out of high school, he should have been the number one recruit. Obviously, they gave that that note to Rashawn Gary, but Ed Oliver is an absolute superstar. If you ever get a chance to watch a Houston game, I mean, this guy almost single-handedly kind of beat Oklahoma. The way that he manhandled their defensive line, he is he's awesome to watch. I absolutely love Christian Wilkins at Clemson. Another guy that's kind of one of those war daddy defensive tackles. Uh, I love for Georgia fans. I love Deandre Baker. I think that he is, I don't think we've seen a corner come on as strong as he has in the last season and a half. I mean, from the end of that 2016 season to what he was in 2017 was absolutely phenomenal. So I think he's absolutely someone to, to circle. And then I'm also a humongous Richie LeCount fan um, all day is, he is someone that I, I, we got, we got a chance to get to know him on the recruiting trail and he's a ball of energy that I think has really got some, a lot of special inside of him. So looking forward to watching what he can do. Yeah. I'm with you on, I'm with you on both Baker and LeCount. And honestly, I'm with you on, on Ed Oliver. I, he is, uh, that was easily in my mind, that was easily the, you know, the best get at Houston. I mean, Tom Herman recruited him, Ever. right? Um, yeah. so just crazy, Ever. crazy good athlete. And, I mean, he, he legit could go. I mean, he's certainly going to go top five unless he gets hurt. But he legit could yeah. go first, and no one could argue with it. Um, yeah, just because of what he's going to do. He's the second coming of Aaron Donald, and Aaron Donald is one of the best players in the NFL. I think he's one of the top three or four best players in the NFL. And he, this is Ed Oliver, is that with a little bit more quickness? He absolutely should be the number one pick overall. And people are going to do the same thing they did to Aaron Donald and be like. Well, his arm length and, you know, and I'm going to be like, listen, this guy can play like he is. I mean, Grady, again, Grady Jarrett with the Falcons. Like I love Grady Jarrett at Clemson Ed Oliver's that type of player, but he, I think he's better. I think he's right up there with Aaron Donald when Donald was at Pitt. All right, my man. Well, besides at in the bleachers on Twitter's, where can we find your work? So I uh, got announced recently that I now have a new employer. It is stadium. So I work. So you can find stuff at Watch Stadium on Twitter and at Watch Stadium also on Facebook. 
I'll be doing. There's a, they actually have a. Their stadium has an app. You'll find it. it's got a stadium insignia. It's a black black with a silver stadium insignia. But I'm going to be doing college football for them, doing some high school recruiting for them. So really excited to get an opportunity to kind of uh, keep doing the same thing, make make good sports videos for the internet, as my old producer at Bleach Report used to say. <laughs> well, you do a great job at that, man. I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk with me. Like I said, guys, go follow him at In the Bleachers. Michael Felder, thanks, man. Thank you. How much fun was that? I want to extend a thank you to Michael Felder for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, hey, read, rate, follow, review, all that stuff makes Guy happy. Check out the website. We can, uh, we're going to have some more content coming up on that. Hope to write more there, as does Will. Um, hey, we're back in the swing of things, guys. It's football season coming up really quickly. We'll see you around campus and go dogs.